we made this. everyone and welcome to Without a Mouse, the podcast where we watch and review the obscure and forgotten live action Disney movies on the hunt for a hidden gem. As always, I'm your host Tim, hello, and yet again we are Sans Chris this evening. Again, he's not been feeling very well at the moment, so even though he picked a brilliant film, he's unfortunately not available to review it, but that's okay because we've got a very special guest with us this evening. You'll know him from another podcast that is on We Made This, uh, which is Pick a Disc, and it's host Matt Latham. Hi, Matt. Hi, Tim. Nice to hear from you. And he said, see you. I can't see you. I'd <laughs> <laughs> be very creepy if you could. <laughs> As I said it, I was looking at your tiny little Skype face in the corner. That's what made me uh, <laughs> made me say that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is uh, this is only the second time we've actually spoken in real life, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, because I think the last time you appeared on my podcast to talk about Jimmy Eat World, yeah, uh, yeah, I did. Um, yeah, that's a bit of a sore point on this podcast, I think, because uh, Chris is always going on about how he's the uh, the most listened to episode of your podcast, Pick a Disc, <laughs> whereas I'm pretty much on the lower end, I think, aren't I? <laughs> uh, actually, I'm not, I'm not, I can't, I'm not sure what number you are at the moment, because I always seem to get transfixed on the fact, on his episode and the third <laughs> yeah. episode, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to be the ones that are hitting the most, but, uh, and I don't know why. <laughs> so yeah, if, if anyone's a really, like, hardcore fan of this podcast, what they really ought to do is go over to listen to my episode on Pick a Disc, uh, because yeah. it's the best one on the whole podcast. It's the best one about Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> yeah. Very democratic. Uh, yeah, um, so Chris has actually just recorded a second episode with you, hasn't he? He has, yes. It, it would it would have um, it probably aired a few weeks ago, actually. Well, actually, we recorded it two days ago, but by the time this gets aired, it will be a few weeks ago. Um, well, to give you an idea, this one, uh, this episode is actually going out on New Year's Day. Ah, okay. So, yeah, so it'll be about a month. Okay. So, yeah, so it'll be about a month ago his second episode was. So. Limp Biscuit, wasn't it? I think he told that me. That was his first episode. His second episode isn't Limp Biscuit, so. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, the other one that begins L.I., yes. Linkin yes. Park. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've had a bit of a chat about that because I actually understand where he's coming from with that one, unlike Limp Biscuit, which I was uh, not too enthused about. Let's say. So yeah, actually, we haven't actually mentioned. Uh, did you want to just give a little rundown of what you're more well known for on your podcast? Yeah, but um, I'm well known for pretending to know what I'm talking about in terms of music. But uh, no, if, uh, for anyone listening who is unaware pick a disc is a podcast where guests come on to i can't say any more literal pick a disc to talk about as in like any album they want to talk about for any reason they want to talk about um mainly at the times it's because the person who picks it really likes it so it's been a very positive podcast and to be fair that's the aim that i want that's pretty much the aim i'm doing it but um sometimes i'm familiar with the album question uh quite a few times i'm not and i'm listening to music for the first time and um part of it was me trying to discover more music or look into gaps of music that I've missed and so it's been a quite an enriching experience and um listening to bands I perhaps should have listened to when I was in my teen years 
So, uh, like, for example, Jimmy Eat World kind of missed me by the first time. So, um, yeah, and it's just, I just quite like talking to people about things that they like. We cover all sorts of stuff about how people found bands, how people discovered them. We sometimes go into live music, live gig stories. And, yeah, so if, you, if, if you've got any anyone listening have any interest in music whatsoever, then have a look at what we've got. And there might be an episode or two that you might want to listen to so and if you're feeling really adventurous listen to all of them more than once <laughs> so yeah matt obviously we need to gauge where you are as in terms of a disney fan on this podcast so what we ask guests is uh, on a scale of chris to tim where do you think you fit on that scale chris obviously being very low tim being rather high probably about halfway so i'm probably a trim <laughs> i'm not a massive 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 diehard fan of disney i think it's just a case that they seem to be they pretty much own everything now so like there's at least tangently like six degrees of kevin bacon you five degrees from walt disney um <laughs> yes that's that's a pretty fair uh, representation at the moment isn't it yeah there are part there are things from disney that i i absolutely love um, I used to used to watch a load of the cartoons when I was younger. Disney Channel TV shows, not as much. Um, I think I graduated and um, moved on to Nickelodeon by the time we finally got Sky. Um, but I was, in my late, I was into my mid-teens by then, so I was more watching The Box and MTV Bass and pretending I was a rapper at that point. Um, I, I'm kind of in a similar place where I didn't really... I wasn't bothered about the Disney Channel by the time we had the Disney Channel. <laughs> yeah for me it was i i spent a lot more time watching um a lot of cartoon network actually a yes. lot of uh, boomerang a lot of the old classic cartoons yeah i think so. um, a lot of the live action disney channel stuff kind of passed me by um it was only through yeah. a few friends that i knew for via the internet i perhaps checked out a couple um like i kind of really liked full of the future uh randomly am i right in thinking that you've tried your free trial this week so you could watch the muppets yes yeah the muppet treasure island which is the film we're listening to watching it is talking about today i think <laughs> well it better be because yes. that's what i watched <laughs> after like years and years of netflix popping in and out of now tv um subscriptions just to watch certain shows when they're on there um amazon prime and was there something else all four um, Disney Life is actually kind of crap in terms oh, of usability. It's absolutely horrendous, isn't it? Because <laughs> so I watched Movie Treasure Island and saw a few things on there. Thought, oh, I'll try and catch it. And the only thing I started watching, I started rewatching Phil of the Future, uh, <laughs> just to kind of revisit and you know finding it's actually still quite funny. Um, but and it suits credit the. Full of the Future is actually in production order, which means there's actually some sense of serialization in it, which threw me for a, which threw me at one point, um, because I think if on the Wikipedia page, the first seasons air completely out of order. But then everything else that I was kind of like, oh, I wouldn't mind trying to catch, try and catch an episode of this. Like, um, I've never watched Gargoyles. Right. Yeah. And I've, I've heard so much about it and part of me, and part of me thinks I'll absolutely love it. But then when there's like only one season on there, and I think you told me on Twitter that actually it's not, it's just the best of. Um, some show, it's it's very hit and miss because things like Goof Troop and DuckTales and stuff like that, they have the whole the whole run. But yeah, the, the Boy Meets World is a best of, and it's 20 episodes of a seven season run, which is very jarring because obviously as well, it, it's about, you know, the main character is a, is a kid. So from season one, he's in uh, middle school in America and he, it ends with him graduating college. So... To only take twenty episodes from that 
huge span of time it just it, you know it's it's not enjoyable there's no arc to it it is it is literally a greatest hits in every sense of the word which is a bit mm. annoying i have heard from other people that when disney plus finally drops in the uk that does have the full uh, seasons on so fingers crossed in march at the end of march when we finally get it it's only 3 months away tim well, yeah, but everything will have been spoiled by then. I mean, there's already spoilers all over Twitter about plot points from The Mandalorian, and there's only two episodes of it out so far, so it's a little bit of a bummer. So, another question we've been asking all of our guests so far, that we nicked off our first guest, Mark Adams, because he does it on his podcast. I was supposed to let you know about this beforehand, but I can't remember if I did or not. Uh because <laughs> interestingly enough i've actually got i wrote some down because i was listening on the drive home from work i started listening to the love bug episode <laughs> and you asked that and i'm like crap i need to think about that yeah so that would be our mount rushmore of disney characters so yes if you had to pick four characters to painstakingly chisel out of onto the side of a mountain what would they be see the bit i struggle with i've got three names straight out of my hat and i'm i can't think of a fourth i'm so we, we might we might try and work one out as we're talking about. The first one is Scrooge McDuck because I absolutely love DuckTales. Cool. DuckTales is probably one of is my favourite Disney animation. Um, I remember going to the cinema to watch Raiders of the Lost Lamb, Treasure of the Lost Lamb. Oh, what's it called? I should know this because me and Kirsty did a charity event this year where in April where we watched every Disney theatrical animated release from the nineties in one go. And uh, it was the first time we'd watched the DuckTales movie, and I can't remember what it's called, but it was it was pretty decent, to be fair. I, I, I've always got a soft spot for it. I remember re-watching it a while ago and realising there is actually quite a few famous names in the the characters that appear oh. just for that film. Well, I'll have to keep an eye out on that. Yeah, because like Christopher Lloyd's the villain, isn't he? So... Oh, of course he is, yes. Yeah, yes, and I, I think Rick Taylor is, Rick Taylor's the genie and... Yeah, but I think Scrooge McDuck and, and th- that theme tune is iconic. I love that theme tune. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, second one, on topic, and I'm, I'm counting him because he's now owned by Disney and he's in this film, um, is Rizzo the Rat. I bloody nice. love Rizzo. <laughs> I love Rizzo. Yeah, he's the best thing about this film and he's the best thing about The Christmas Carol as well. Um, Absolutely. I would yeah. I'd pretty much agree with you on that. Um, the third And the third and final one that I managed to work out is Scar because... Nice. The Lion King okay. is my favourite Disney animated film, and I I love Scar as a villain. He's he's great. Jeremy Irons is great, and Be Prepared is one of the best songs in the whole Disney canon. I'm pretty much with you there on that one. So yeah, how, what are you going to do for your fourth one then? I don't know. I was trying to think about it, and Phil of said future. Probably no. I mean, <laughs> I, just, I like it. I don't like it that much. Right, probably okay. be, it was probably probably end up being a Toy Story character. I think because I love the Toy Story films. But it's trying to figure out which Toy Story character. Yeah, and I'm going to go and play. A lot of the, a lot of your favourite Disney films tend to be ensembles, and it's like who would you pick out from those? Yeah, and the re- really good ensemble cast. Because originally I was thinking I'll just choose Woody because I think Woody is probably one of the better main characters in any films as well. But then you got all the scene stealing moments. You do, you just remember all the characters and lines they do. And you're thinking, oh yeah, it's that. It's like it's like if you're if you like food. And you can't decide your favourite food. And you suddenly have, oh, I like, I don't know, lasagna. But then you have like a chocolate cake the next day. And you think, oh, no, my favourite food is chocolate cake. Then you have a curry. And you go, oh, no, my favourite food is curry. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and it's, it's hard. So I'm going to, um, I think for my own sanity, I'm going to go with Woody. Because I, I need representation 
from the Toy Story series. Okay. We were actually listening to the Love Bug uh, episode whilst we were having our tea, because I always like to check that nothing's gone horrifically wrong when it's been uploaded. <laughs> but then Kirsty actually asked me what my Mountain Rushmore would be and realised that I've never actually thought to think of it. So I thought, yeah, let's let's see if I can figure it out right now. So my, my absolute definite first pick uh, would be Max Goof from a Goofy movie, the best Disney film of all time in my opinion. And it's a shame that you won't be able to cover it on this podcast. I know, I know. I think uh, maybe some kind of milestone episode will have to be us covering the Goofy movie. Rules be damned, because it, it's my fave. <laughs> then, yeah, I feel like, you know, I'm a big fan of the Muppet, so I think I should probably go for a Muppet as well. Uh, I might even nick yours, you know, because I think Rizzo is my favourite Muppet of all time. No, do you know what? I'm going to go obscure with it. Did you ever watch the TV show Muppets Tonight? Yes. Loved it. Yeah. Got a show Me for you. Too. Guaranteed brand new. That one. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Uh, and I honestly can't remember his name, but the host of that I always thought was really Clifford. cool. Clifford. Uh, Clifford, that's the guy. A purple guy with dreadlocks, wasn't it? Yeah. And he was the host of that show. Loved it. So yeah, I'm going to go Max Goof, Clifford. Hmm. Where do we go from here? Right, you know, Star Wars is now Disney, so I'm going to pick a Star Wars character. And again, maybe an obscure one that I used to love as a child, but um, whenever I used to play Star Wars Episode One Racer at my cousin's house, we all know that the best pod racer is Gascano. Uh, so let's let's put that four-limbed idiot as number four, at uh, number three. And now I've got to think of another one. Do I go mad and like have a different character from different franchises? Because then, no, because I'm I don't I don't care that much about Marvel. Okay, I'm just I'm just having to know because you just said that. I'm just going to know. I'm now just double checking that a video game character covers. Now, do they? Now, right, he is in the film, so he's in the film episode one phantom menace he is actually a, a canon character he wasn't just from the the game okay because i've just i'm i'm now currently just trying to work out that the uh and i know for a fact if tiny black is listening to this he'll know exactly what series i'm going to be talking about uh so the video game series is owned by lucas arts which is owned parent company is lucas film which is owned by the Walt disney studios so all right here we go so in that <laughs> case i'm going to pick a video game character instead of woody i'm going to pick murray the demonic skull from the monkey island series <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant brilliant yeah. okay no yeah because i am murray the demonic skull and the forces will applaud me as i stride through the gates of hell carrying your head with on a pike stride all right, then roll, roll through the gates of hell. Must you take the fun out of everything? I, I'm guessing you've played Monkey Island quite a few times, then. Yes. <laughs> right, I've I've figured out who my fourth one's going to be. Uh, representing um, my love of the uh, Disney theme parks, I'm going to pick um, the Dragon Figment, who is the mascot from Epcot. So that is a <laughs> that is a very obscure little group of characters for my. Uh, I'm <laughs> fitting for a host of a Disney podcast and I'm just trying to think like how many people would actually visit this uh, monument that I've just built <laughs> probably nobody to be fair I, to be fair I've got a duck a rat a lion and a skull 
So, uh... <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Tony had a had a Volkswagen as well, so <laughs> copyright issues there. Yeah. <laughs> and my final question before we crack on, and I think I'm kind of getting a picture of this already, but I was just wondering uh, because you're the first guest that has not picked their film. Having seen you and Tony interacting on Twitter, I get the impression you're not much of a film guy. No, I'm. <sighs> I would much rather sit down and watch TV than a film. I mean, um, I can probably count the amount of films I've watched on Netflix on one hand. Um, well, that's understandable because Netflix's collection is shite. Yeah, so, and also a lot of really good TV shows next to it. And um, yeah, I, I am much more of a TV connoisseur uh, than a um, than a film one. I mean, the I mean, I don't sit down and. Let's watch films at home. I'll watch them at the cinema, but I, 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 I'll, it's quite rare that I'll sit down and watch a film at home. Mainly because there's so many bloody TV shows that I need to catch up on. <laughs> I, yeah, I know that feeling. To be honest, I think um, me and Kirsty fall out quite a little bit because uh, we're kind of opposites in that. I would much rather sit and watch a TV show these days at home anyway than watch a film, whereas she's the other way around. Mm. But speaking of TV, obviously the Muppets started as a a TV show. So what's your relationship with the Muppets as a child of the 90s? 80s. 80s, all right. Yeah. You're you're older than you look, mate. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Pushing up the desk, it's fine. Yeah, I'm I'm, I just recently, I recently celebrated my 34th birthday. So I was born. Oh, right, I was okay. born in '85. Um, I'm guessing. My, well, the first interaction I had with the Jim Henson Jim Henson Workshop or Jim Henson Company would probably be Sesame Street. I mean, I'm not a massive Muppet super fan, but I seem to have watched a load of stuff of theirs quite a few times. Um, so I think gradually, every time there seemed to be a Muppet movie on TV, I'd end up watching it. I think the Muppets Take Man Muppets Take Manhattan is the one with the way I think. Kermit loses his memory, if I remember rightly. And I think that's the one that ends with the wedding as well, with Miss Piggy. And to this day, every time, every morning, I, I, when I wake up and I'm going to a wedding, guaranteed, I will end up posting the song from the end of that film. You know, that somebody's getting <laughs> married. And yeah, I think then Muppets Tonight, I think, came around. I remember really liking that and kind of getting confused when it stopped after about 13 weeks on BBC One because it, cause it was really weird because I'm pretty sure they showed it at like 7pm on BBC One. Um, it was a prime time slot. I remember like it being a big deal when it was on. It was my first interaction with the Muppets, possibly. I can't really remember when I first saw any of the Muppet films and I they, they didn't really rerun the original Muppet show when I was a kid. So. But for years, for years, I remember having the VHS of the Muppet's Christmas Carol, and that was like 92, I think, and I watched that loads. So I kind of was ingrained with the Muppets at that point. And yeah, Muppets Tonight. Um... For those that don't know, um, the Muppets Tonight, because it, it, it doesn't really get mentioned very much these days, um, but it was kind of a, a spiritual sequel to the Muppet show, wasn't it? It was... yeah. Uh, it was the format of a sort of late night talk show. Uh, as we said, we had Clifford who was the host, but then at the same time, it was all very much sketch based, like the original Muppet Show. Yeah, but um, I think the sketches were part of the the chat the show, so you kind of saw them in the background trying to organise the sketches and yeah, yeah. And I think the Muppet because the Muppet Show was based in a theatre, so it was like a live show, whereas this was a TV series. And I think eventually yeah. they had the Muppets 
which was a few years ago now, where it was kind of like a mockumentary based on... Like yeah, a t- I've, I've never seen any of that because I've never known when it was on or where it was uh, available. I watched it through means... Um, but and I really liked it because it was kind of like a more you saw a bit more of the private life behind the show Um, what year was it out 2015 I thought it was older than that yeah it was 2015 which was um, yeah okay it was up late with Miss Piggy so it was another night, late night talk show, but it was more focused on the behind the scenes. Yeah, so you had like characters interacting as if they was going through. Um, it's like a mixture of The Office slash Thirty Rock. All right, yeah. Cool. So, cool. but not as madcap as Thirty Rock, but um, it was still <laughs> kind of. I I, I liked it. I, I liked it, but like I liked it, and I always find it quite funny that um, I think Ricky Lindholm was like <laughs> cast as like Fozzie's love interest, and it didn't. It, it got very poor ratings in the US and I feel like a lot of stuff that the Muppets have done in the last decade or so has really flopped and I I don't understand why Centuries ago, a legendary treasure was buried on a remote island and there's only one living soul daring enough to find it Hello everyone Captain Abraham Smollett is taking command this voyage has begun. To wherever the wind may take us. Hurry, Rizzo! I'm going as fast as I can. But there's trouble afoot. Beware the one-legged man. <laughs> He's the one to fear. <gasps> Long John Silver. At your service. One leg, Jim. Count them one. Now, the captain is being pursued by pirates. Pirates? We're sailing for buried treasure. We're gonna be rich. We're gonna be dead. <laughs> Surrounded by danger. Terrific. Captured by crazed wild pigs and sacrificed hideously before a pagan altar. Are we lucky or what? And haunted by his past. Bonsoir, mes amis. Smalley, can it be you? Old girlfriend. We got cabin fever. We lost what sense we had. We got cabin fever. We're all going mad. Walt Disney Pictures presents from Jim Henson Productions, a classic tale of ships coming in. Who hired this crew? And luck running out. Get the treasure. Let's torture the rat. No more, Miss Nice Guy. Cool. Muppet Treasure Island. Uh, I'm starting to worry about this voyage. You know, we've we've been babbling for a good 40 minutes now. We ought to really uh, talk about the actual film. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, it begins with, over our opening credits, we get... Oh, that was the other thing I was going to say. We've got some songs in this film, which is very interesting because Chris has already said multiple times on the podcast how much he hates musicals, and he was the first person to pick a legitimate musical as an episode. Yeah, um, I'll, also, I'll point out as well is that I've actually rated all the songs out of five. So, uh... <laughs> music guy over here. Look. Yes, yes. Sidney and Daddy rates stuff on my podcast, but I've decided to rate the song. I'm not ranked them. I'm just giving them a rating out of five. Shiver my shiver, 
across the ocean blue. A bloodthirsty captain and a cutthroat crew. It's as dark a tale as was ever told of the lust for treasure and the love of gold. So yeah, over the opening credits, where we see uh, the pirate Flint with his gang of pirates going to bury some treasure on an island, we get the uh, the song "Shiver My Timbers," which is pretty good at setting the scene. I think yeah. um, quite a witty lyrics. I think um, the songs in this film really remind me of um, the sort of the heyday of the Sherman Brothers at Disney. Um, so all your Mary Poppinses and your Bedknobs and Broomsticks and Jungle Book and things like that, where the, the you know they're very catchy in terms of the melodies and stuff, but the lyrics as well are just spot on. I think. It's yeah, I think they were. I think they were meant. I think I remember reading somewhere that they tried to aim for Broadway style. Yeah. Yeah, and it 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 and Shiver My Timbers works really well with exposition as well. It does, yeah, yeah. it really sets the scene. Um, again, like you were kind of saying with um, the portrayal of uh, Scrooge, it's 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 quite... It's, the lyrics are quite straight in this opening, at least. <laughs> it's quite sort of sombre, it's not silly, but yeah, good good song. And we get... We end the credits seeing uh, Flint uh, do over all of his... Uh, his crew by shooting them all in the back so yeah. he can keep the treasure for himself the I mean it's it, again I, I don't really want to keep referring back to the Christmas Carol but it, 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 there's, a, there's parallels with Scrooge the first song from that in that it offers you a, an example of like backstory about a certain character like a character and it's like yeah. the, and it's more or less the Muppet characters singing about a human character only in this only this one the character they're singing about is very important to the plot but it doesn't actually appear in the film um, which is which is good because obviously it, yeah for backstory for later on in the plot it's better it's better than just a character standing there and telling you all, all about this guy that you never see and I think what's really good as well is that it manages to be funny in places but never lose the menace because yeah. because the film wants you to wants you to have this image of what who Flint was, mm. and matches the book as well actually, which I've read about two thirds of. What, but it's 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 how it's who's and what who and what are singing it, which kind of brings a bit of humour. So you know you're watching a Muppets film. It's like yeah. So like for Scrooge, you had all like like pieces of fruit and mice speaking and stuff. For here, you've got um like those little pig shaped. Stone carvings going ooga chaka ooga chaka. You've got yeah. There's the bit. There's a bit with these um, dragonflies, <laughs> like, yeah. Like get going into like poor focus. Um, and there's a bit the, the the one bit that always that frightened me as a kid and always um stays in my mind is when you got the the bit where the skulls are. Oh yeah, and, the and they're all singing. singing different parts, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, but they're singing the same thing, but in different kind of time and stuff. And it's like, and they're just like, Ooh, uh. yeah, yeah. G- good creepy, <laughs> yeah. And then from here, we get our first proper scene. We go to a tavern somewhere in the, you know, rural England, let's say. Oh, sorry. Um, I, I gave Shiver My Timbers, Shiver Me Timbers, four out of five. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, brilliant song, I think. Very catchy. I don't know if you noticed, but when I was plugging my phone in earlier, Matt, when we were on recording, I was whistling it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> don't know if you could hear it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in the tavern, we get one of my favourite scenes in uh, a kid's film, I think. This whole sequence before we actually get off on our on our journey 
um, with some of... The note I've given is that it's British as fuck because we've <laughs> got some absolute brilliant... We've got Jennifer Saunders, we've got Billy Connolly and they're both playing off each other fantastically in this scene. Billy Connolly playing the drunken pirate Billy Bones who's... We, we catch the end of him retelling the story of Flint, basically. So he explains it all without us having to sit there cross-legged, twiddling our thumbs whilst he's being boring. Yeah. Uh, we, we also meet our Jim Hawkins, played by Kevin Bishop. Do you remember that weird period where, you know, he was in this one film, disappeared for about a decade, and then came back as a really cringe and awful, like, sketch show comedian? Yeah, although the majority of those sketches are a bit... Iffy, but there was uh, one. There was I always remember the one where he takes the mic out of um, Ross Kemp, which I always thought quite funny. Where he goes, "Why well, I'm Ross Kemp, and this is Ross Kemp on the toilet. <laughs> yeah, this is Ross Kemp on drugs. Whoa!" And like that's, that's, that's like, the only thing I remember from that because um, I went through a phase of really getting into the Ross Kemp on gangs at one point. It was kind of weird when you see Jim Hawkins like as a grown up, especially because we never saw the the aging process. He disappeared, lived under a rock, and then suddenly was a was a comedian and it was all a bit odd wasn't it yeah i mean so i'm pretty sure this was his first acting job i think wasn't it i think so yeah it does it's not it does a decent job i mean they're a lot worse but i think he does okay what he's given i think i think he does having you know we have watched a lot of films with a lot of child actors in now for this bloody podcast and i honestly think from what we've seen he is one of the best child actors so far really i really like the portrayal of jim hawkins because he's very precocious and sincere quite often but without being too like sickly with it i mean sometimes he is yeah he doesn't get away with it all the time um but considering his age, and I, I, I really think he did a really good job. I say he's decent. He's, he, he, he's a bit rough around the edges, but that's probably then just a bit of inexperience. Yeah, um, but and when you, you know, when you're acting, be be next to you know Billy Conley and Tim Curry and Jennifer Saunders. Yeah, and, and the Muppets, I suppose as well. That's gonna yeah. be you know quite daunting for your first role. Jennifer Saunders in this as well, just absolutely. <laughs> She does so much with so little in this. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's that great little ongoing joke which, which doesn't it say it's welcome about like her somehow managing to hear everything that people says because how, how does she do, do that? that? Yeah, <laughs> how does she do that? How does she bloody do that? Reviewing a Muppet film is going to be so difficult to not just basically repeat verbatim all of the best gags from this oh, film, man. like because yeah, it's just endlessly quotable this film but it's yeah i mean like it's it's very sharp it's very quick and um like i think because we're in this point we see gonzo and rizzo and i think and again i think it was from reading about the production of this i think they kind of struggled to fit them in there and i think the reason they are in the roles they are is because of how well they worked as the narrators more or less in uh, the christmas carol and so they kept them in a kind of central role i mean arguably the kind of I think the film kind of forgets the there from about two thirds in. Yeah. <laughs> but at this point, they're kind of doing, if not Greek chorus, they are. Almost, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. The, the, the audience surrogate and kind and they're there to remind you that of the comedy that's there. And because they are pretty much the same characters um, yeah. as they are. I mean, like, as, as they are. In the, there is a, there's an interesting juxtaposition of, um, of the American Muppets just like talk, interacting with a British, like almost like 
Bristol set. Yeah. <laughs> I think as well, like, as you say, they are completely sort of misplaced in terms of what their role in the film is. Any excuse to see the double act of Rizzo and Gonzo, one yeah. of the finest double acts that have ever been, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, they they play off each other so well because you've got Rizzo, you know, you've got who's, you know, your streetwise, sarcastic, but also, you know, the 90s was littered with its streetwise, sarcastic mascots. But Rizzo... There's no nineties about him almost. He's yeah, just... he's not. He's not cool or cocky. He's, he's the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's just an absolute cynic, which yeah. goes so well played against Gonzo's kind of idealism. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, he, he thinks everything's amazing. He, you know, he's he couldn't be better. And it just the combination of those two. I could I could watch. You know, I I would watch any film which was the Muppets version, if it was exactly the same film, but there was just them two in the corner of each scene, like commenting on what was happening. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that's what they should put on Disney+. Plus: A Mystery Science Theatre 3000 series. <laughs> yes! Which is just Gonzo and Rizzo. Yeah, it goes, like, they're bringing back one of our dinosaurs is missing, but it's going to have oh, an audio track Lord. of Gonzo and Rizzo just talking over it. Holy fuck, that would be the holy grail of uh, Disney+. Plus. We're bringing back Song of the South, but we gone down. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably just be the two of them going, uh, Rizzo. <laughs> just the, they don't say anything for the whole film. They just cough really loudly over half the dialogue. <laughs> and just hear Rizzo just eating something. <laughs> And then any any time anything visually awkward happens, they like they they'll bring on some more, like another comically oversized prop to like hide it behind. So they like... have Sweetums appear halfway through just to sit in the middle of the screen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I want to see yeah. that now. <laughs> but yeah, but I say the. I mean, I don't think they have a joke as good as like with the juxtaposition of the American and the British set of stuff. Um, I yeah. think they they kind of established that with like one of the best jokes in the um, Christmas Carol, where uh, I think they have. Sam, they have Sam like as the head teacher going. It is the American way, and then he goes, "Yes, it is the British way," and then kind of looks away and stuff. And yeah, but there is there's always kind of that weird just juxtaposition of the American accents of the characters, which works as well. And in this scene, we get our second song, which has got to be something better, uh, which is what we what a few people online tend to call the Disney want song, which is where a character near the beginning of the film, your main character, your protagonist, will stand and soliloquise about what they want out of their life, which in Jim's case is adventure, essentially. And I've got a very good feeling I know where it's going to stand on uh, your ranking sheet, Matt. (laughs) Um, I gave it two out of five, if I'm honest. (laughs) Yeah, it's not very good, is it? It's not very good, but I'm going to invoke one of your, uh, one of the, without a mouse tropes here. Okay. Because they talk about... They don't talk about Jim's mum, because um, she's kind of out of the picture. Of, I, don't, I can't remember if she's brought up. But they talk about his dad. Mm. Now... He's got a bit of dead dad syndrome, that well, he's got uh, dead Jim dad. And de- well, he's got dead parents, because it's mentioned him being an orphan. Yeah. <laughs> now, okay, and, think, and when I noticed that, I had to pause and just, like, blink, because... The whole like dead parents trope that you that you and Chris constantly talk about is interesting because in the original book, the innkeeper of the Benbow Inn is his mum. What? Yeah. So, so, so but, Disney actually engineered some dead parentage for this. Yeah. So basically, Jennifer Saunders' character, whose name I've suddenly forgotten or trace of, 
Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's going to bug me now. But yeah, actually, in the book is Jim's mum. Now, I can't remember. I can't remember exactly. Cause I, I was 11 when I... Uh, I was 11 when I read two-thirds of the book. And there are interesting differences later on, I'll probably mention later on. I think Jennifer Saunders' character, having her not be a relation, kind of makes it easier for Jim to sort of leave after the fire, in a way. Like, he hasn't got any familial attachment to this place. He can just fuck off and go on an adventure, I think. And I think maybe from a film perspective, you need that. Especially if you're, you know, in a book, you've got more time in your opening sections, maybe. Whereas in a film, you've got to, we've got to get to the adventure as quick as possible. So, the, I, in fact, one of the one of my favourite bits is the way, favourite gags is the way that he sort of says how, after this, uh, you know, the tavern gets raided, um, he says, what am I going to do? I can't, should I stay here? And she just... Jennifer Saunders smashes her way out of a window and just like, oh, don't worry about it. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> How does she do that? <laughs> but yeah, I think we are. Yeah, but it, it's it's very, it's quite quick. And well, actually, I say it's quite quick. I, I did I did pause it just at the end of that scene and it's 19 minutes in that whole sequence. So right, okay. So it's like, a, it's a good like quarter of the film. <laughs> but it fe- it feels quicker, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels, yeah. I was surprised at how long it took. Yeah, but yeah, but the but I do mention again not to keep quoting stuff. There are like little sight gags, um, like for example yeah. when they're going through Billy Bones' stuff. Um, I think Rizzo or Gonzo picks up a book by Henry Henry Kissinger called Diplomacy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, again one of my favourite. I mean, they establish the concept of the black spot here as well. Yeah, yeah, and there's, there's a bit where like um where Billy Connolly goes, uh, Jim, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, Jim. He goes, I'm not Jim, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, Jim. He's Jim. Jim, 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 and for, um, for age, I used to keep, I annoyed my parents saying that over and over again when I was much younger. <laughs> this scene also has one of my favourite lines to quote, which is when um, they're wistfully talking about where they're going to go. Gonzo says, Zanzibar, to meet the Zanzibarbarians. <laughs> and that, my friends used to get annoyed because any time anyone asked me where we were going, that's what I would say. <laughs> Brilliant. I approve. And it's such a good line that they use it again at the end of the film as well. I know it's watching it this time. Yeah. A note that I've made was that this film already is looking absolutely gorgeous. Everything is practical. And I wonder if this is kind of why from the end of the the 90s into the noughties that Disney kind of struggled with the Muppets. Because what stands out when you're watching a a good Muppet film is that everything is a very... Everything is practical. Everything is a built physical space because obviously you've got all these puppets so you have to have them in the space unlike whereas from the end of the noughties onwards we we all the studios are trying to cut corners with and costs with as much cgi as possible once it becomes affordable and i wonder if that's why disney really struggled to know what to do with the muppets yeah i mean there's there's a sequence later on which i'm going to try and make a note now to bring that stuff about being practical later on because there's a scene that I was a bit iffy about when I was younger, but rewatching it, realised that that technically it's actually quite impressive. Um, I think I might know where you're coming from because there was something that stuck out for me as well. So we'll see when we get there. Oh, I'd be, <laughs> oh, I'd be interested to see if it is the same thing. But yeah, so I, I might, I might, I might hold off discussing that bit until we get to that bit. So okay. So our next scene, we then uh, we're heading off on our adventures, and we end up in Bristol. 
because this is the this is the town traditionally where you would set off on an adventure to the new world from England, and the set this set really reminded me of um, the film Hook. Yes, the uh, the pirate village from Hook, because um, it, it's very sort of old worldy. Everything's very higgledy piggledy. Very seventeen um, hundreds. Seventeen hundreds. That's the one. It's kind of almost high end panto sets. I always think with this film because everything is everything is practical. Everything is lavishly decorated, but everything is really fucking small and cramped to make it look as full as possible. Because <laughs> there's so many muppets to fill the space. <laughs> so once we're in the city, Jim and the gang they uh, knock on the doors of Trelawney and Son, um, which is a shipbuilders. Um, and the idea is that they'll ask Mr. Trelawney to fund their voyage because they have this treasure map from Billy Connolly, uh, which tells them where they're going to find definitely find treasure. Uh, but it turns out Mr. Trelawney's away from the season, but his moron of a son is available if they want to talk to him. Yeah, I think the, the book, it's actually Squire Trelawney. He's actually the yeah. squire himself in the book. Yeah. I assumed it would be. This is kind of, it reminded me of what they did with, instead of Jacob Marley and Christmas Carol, they had Marley and Marley, so they could yeah. have Stadler and Waldorf in. So a bit of artistic license just to get those characters in. Yeah, it's 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 an, it's not the biggest change. It's not the biggest change from the novel. There's right. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, Fozzy as a character does not fit into this story anyway. So you have to change a character to get yeah. him in kind of. Yeah. Don't you? Um, and Fozzie bases all of his decisions on the advice of Mr. Bimble, who is a man that lives inside his finger. And to get across that this uh, Fozzie is an absolute idiot. He's never even, he doesn't even know what the ocean is. Ocean? So- ocean? Ocean? It's, it's basically. Oh, the, the big blue it's... wedding. <laughs> Oh man, I love it. And then in case there weren't enough half-baked characters in this film, Beaker and Honeydew turn up to um, barely be in it. <laughs> yeah, and again, I think they're actually... Uh, Beaker not, but Bunsen Honeydew is Dr. Lizzie, who's actually a massive, massive character in the book. Again, yeah, he's he's, di- he's dialed down quite a touch as well. So, And then the next day, uh, basically Fozzie says that he's going to fund their trip because he's an idiot. Then the very next day, they head out on the Hispaniola, which is the ship, which again, this practical set, it's obviously a pared down ship. It's not very big, but it still looks gorgeous. We head down Mm. into the galley, the kitchen, where we finally meet Long John Silver, as played by Tim Curry. (laughs) He's brilliant. He's great. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of... There's this film that I know him from. Um, The other big film... Well, two films that I know him from. Um, the first is Home Alone Two. Oh yeah, brilliant! Love him in that. Yeah, he's 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 the very slimy and very slimy uh, hotel concierge. Who... I love you. <laughs> Have a lovely day. <laughs> lovely day. They've got an insane guest with that gun. And <laughs> the um, the second one is is not is not Rocky Horror because I've only ever seen that once. But um, is Loaded Weapon One. Where he pretty much is an assassin that dresses up as a scout girl. <laughs> and he goes, Wilderness Kills. Oh, I'll have to give that one a try. Yeah, Wilderness uh, Kills. Basically, yeah, um, myself, myself and um, Tony Black uh, quite often will just suddenly randomly go, Wilderness Kills, whenever we try and knock on the door. <laughs> so, but, yeah. I was really wanting to um, count the times that Tim Curry <laughs>, laughs in this film because uh, 
Well, one, because he's got one of the most distinctive laughs in the whole of cinema, but also because like it happens every time he has a line, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be within the thousands, surely, the amount of laughs he does. Yeah. <laughs> Drinking games not to play, but... Uh... Uh, so yeah, we're introduced to him. He's got a talking lobster, sorry, called Polly. Oh, it's great. He goes like, uh, there's, there's the great little, there's a great few meta jokes of this bit as well, where he talks about like, uh, talking parrots. What an imagination. What's next? A singing, dancing, maybe. Yeah, I've written puck? that down as well, because that one stuck out for me. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah. Giving it a sort of West Country accent. Did you know that the original Disney uh, film of Treasure Island was actually where the stereotype of the West Country accent being a pirate voice actually started? No, no, I didn't know that. So there you go. That's something you've learned today. How did you feel about Tim Curry's (laughs) performance as Long John as a whole? I pretty much loved it, to be fair. As I say, I am a big Tim Curry (laughs) fan. fan anyway i think the performance from uh, michael kane in christmas carol is obviously a lot more subtle and more nuanced but i think yeah tim curry <laughs> comes from it the same way he seems to come to a lot of his bloody roles to be honest which is more theatrical is better and i think it is it's very different from michael kane it's very over the top but at the same time that's just another way that you can work alongside the Muppets and, and look brilliant, I think. I think it's very it's different, yeah. but not worse or better, in my opinion. Do you think, if this was a serious, straight adaptation of Treasure Island, he'd still be a good Long John? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> See, I was thinking that as well, actually, yeah. Because he's got, he's got a very good sense of comic timing. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Critically, I could, you could probably argue that that probably let it down in comparison to the Christmas Carol, in which 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 you can, which well you can argue I think it is like a a really good straight performance. Whereas this one, it's a straight performance, but it fits in with the humour more. Absolutely, and he yeah. doesn't play it straight. And on the one hand, it's it's great. On the other hand, it's like you're probably probably losing some potential to have like a really good complex character, even though there is some there. But on the flip side, on the, flipping back to the defence again, I, I do have to praise kind of like Brian Henson for not wanting to just try and do a straight dramatic read of the character like yeah. he did before. I think you could argue though that the two films are supposed to be different genres almost. Because I mean, yeah. like uh, this is definitely more of an adventure. If you flip it, would you want Michael Caine Scrooge to be on this adventure with all of these people? Probably no. not, because I I, th- I think that more sombre, that more naturalistic tone just doesn't fit this genre of of an adventure film. I think so. They, I just think they're two, they're very different, but I think they're both equal. I don't think one's better than the other. So there. <laughs> <laughs> we failed to mention earlier that before he dies, Billy Conley uh, warns Jim about the fellow with one leg, which it turns out is uh, our mate Long John. Yeah. <laughs> we get the all hands on deck, so everyone goes outside to meet the first mate, Mr. Arrow, played by Sam Eagle. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm crossing Rizzo off my mountain. I'm chiseling him off and I'm replacing him with Sam Eagle. Because I really? I love Sam Eagle as a character. <laughs> I always enjoy seeing someone be really, really pompous when nobody else cares. <laughs> and be like so meticulous and 
detail oriented in whilst everyone else is like flying through the air and smashing through windows and stuff. I I, I love the juxtaposition with Sam Eagle in a in a Muppet film. I think also I'm going going back to the original story as well. I think when I was reading it because I pretty much watched this film a lot before I actually read the book. Um, how Arrow as a character was was the first kind of warning sign that I probably wasn't going to finish the book. Oh right, because it is it is completely different. From that, I mean, the film kind of carries him, but he's introduced as the first mate, and in about two or three pages, Jim Hawkins, as the narrator, pretty much describes what happens to him a few days in, in that he's a drunk, and he just falls off the edge of the boat and drowns. Oh. So he only lasts about three pages as a character. Right, okay. And I was like, and I saw it, and I'm like, and so the first mate isn't in the book at all. Right, okay. <laughs> and I remember reading it going, oh, okay. And, okay. and, okay, it was probably my fault that 11-year-old me was, uh, basing this off a <laughs> well that's not what happened in the muppets <laughs> yeah that was kind of like the first real massive gap i'm like oh, okay i think again like it's a lot of squeezing muppets into the role isn't it so like yeah. we have sam eagle which we have to put somewhere um maybe he would have worked better as captain smollett but you have to have kermit yeah, yeah. in the le- in the more you know, leading leading role. Yeah, I think I think it was probably one of my the first instances of my brain having to really look into the fact that adaptations and differences were a thing. Yeah. So, like, I don't think I'd really thought about that before. There's a great gag where Sam's basically making out Captain Smollett on his arrival to be like this raging tyrant that's going to, you know, <laughs> whip everyone into shape. And then we we have the thunder of this horse and carriage raging through the streets. And then they open the door and out pops tiny little Kermit the Frog. You're <laughs> <laughs> hi-ho, everyone. <laughs> Love that little, jag, little gag, sorry. Um, but Kermit's just being Kermit. He's very, very straight. And then Gonzo's getting worried that um, about Long John Silver because of the warnings from uh, Billy Bones. Uh, but Jim's just decided not to be bo- bothered at all. He's he's not bothered at all, is he? No, he's just, he, he just seems quite nice. And, and he, get, he gave fair, me an apple, mate. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, I do think, and this is, I was trying to figure this out about at what point is Long John being duplicitous and what part of it's been genuine because I think how Tim Curry <laughs> plays him is that I do think he he does come across as actually genuinely liking Jim. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, he's still kind of manipulative, and I, I do think that comes across quite well. That's that's good, good villain, isn't it? Someone that you uh, yeah. really enjoy watching and can find quite likable, but still be bad, as it were. Yeah, this is our first instance as well. We get a good uh, joke about Rizzo basically um, setting out raptors of the pirate <laughs> ship. So it's like a... this is my this is my favourite running joke of the whole film. Yeah, so basically in the background of everything that's happening from here on out, there's constantly like groups of the rats um, basically acting like they're on a cruise, which is just brilliant. Even when I love it. when you've got a you know you have a big dramatic scene and then it'll the camera will sort of slide over to the side and you'll see some rats getting pissed or like water skiing or like snogging <laughs> in a corner it's just brilliant yes. I, I i i love it i mean like, it still makes me laugh Compl- and like it's it's how they're completely and, unfazed by what's happening around them as well <laughs> I, I i this is another line from this film i constantly used to say to people but there was not but there is actually no context for it where he goes we put the rat in pirate yeah next <laughs> but i always used to check the next afterwards and it used to pee people off <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, we finally end up going on our adventure now. Um, and to celebrate, we're going to sing a song called uh, Sailing for Adventure. When the course is laid and the anchor's weighed, a sailor's blood begins racing. With our hearts unbound and our flag unfurled, we're underway and off to see the world. Underway and off to see the world. Hey ho, we'll go anywhere the wind is blowing. Man with man. Sailing for adventure on the deep blue sea. Matt, where would you put this on your r- ranking scale? Um, this this I, I scored this about a three out of five. Oh, okay. I, I, good, I like it. Um, and again, it, it fits in if it was a Broadway musical as well. And trying to think about it as well, what it, what it does is give you another way of introducing a lot of the ensemble of the side, sorry, the side characters and the pirates. You'll see, so you'll start to see characters that get named in about three minutes time anyway yeah but then you'll see, so you'll see stuff like all the toms angel marie yeah clueless yeah. polly and uh is it monty as well yeah. they all got their own little moments so yeah. and it gives you a good it gives the audience a good opportunity to see these different designs and i think being in very uniquely designed helps but it's here where you start to see the rest of the cast that you'll spend the rest of the film with yeah because there is quite a few side characters here um, and yeah. this is the, this is how we introduced them. What what this film does brilliantly, which you just don't see in film ever anymore, is just shitloads going on at once. And it's the kind of film where every time you watch it, you will spot something that you hadn't seen previously because these scenes especially in the musical numbers whilst we're on the ship, it, there's like close they must be getting on for like like 50 puppets in a scene mm. in every shot and it's just I think that's where all of the Muppet stuff especially in the noughties really falls down is that they just didn't have that sense of scale yeah um, but yeah look I, I really like this song I, I do think I actually think the film spends more time on the boat than it does on the actual island yeah it does I think it almost kind of turns into a proper Muppet s- sketch show at this point because it's all lots yeah. of um lots of miniature scenes that don't necessarily bring the plot forward but are just there to be freaking hilarious <laughs> but I, I, do, I do think they they off they allow to have some sort of character establishment as well though i think because i think it yeah, does yeah. flesh out quite a few like for example like polly clueless and uh monty because i think i think clueless i think clueless is kind of like the hidden star Hidden gem because I think Muppets Tonight ended up giving him giving him his own sketch. Is that the um, yeah. the goat? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think because I think because in Muppets Tonight I think um, you'd see the there's a sketch where you see the PLV of a man uh, or I think yeah, there's some guy walking in sit down at a a diner and I think it's Polly speaks to and he goes what you want to speak to you want to speak to him all right clueless and then clueless comes out and you see you hear the audience come out and you got like a one sided conversation. And it reminded me a bit of the two Ronnies, where Ronnie Corbett would speak to the camera. But I think this, I think Clueless, I think this is where Clueless kind of, I think it was his, it might be his first appearance actually, but uh, I think it was here that kind of. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is show. his first appearance. Yeah, as much as I remember absolutely loving Muppets tonight, there's very few sketches that I actually remember. Um, and I really wish that it was available somewhere. That in fact, I need to check really if it's on. Disney Plus. I'm going to guess not. 
But if it was, that would be amazing when it comes out. I'll mm-hmm. have to check. As you mentioned, we then get our little scene from uh, Roll Call, where we, we hear all the ridiculous names of all these pirates. And by the end of this, basically, uh, Kermit's cottoned on to the fact that um, these guys are all crooks, basically. He calls all the officers into his quarters and he's basically just like, who the fuck hired all of these guys? <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and we get a good bit of everyone passing the blame until Mr. Bimble in Fozzie's finger is the one that apparently hired them on the advice of Long John Silver. So this is the first sort of bit where something's not quite right about Long John. Like, yeah. it's the first evidence against him. And Kermit's trying to get Jim to give him the map for safekeeping, but Jim's like, nah, mate, it's mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's an absolutely hilarious scene where Long John comes in with some of his uh, best brandy and he gets in an argument with uh, Kermit, who's saying that we're not going to have any drinking on this boat. And Fozzie's just constantly filling up his glass and then throwing this booze out the window <laughs> to the point where like Long John's run out of all the brandy. And yeah, and then ruins the shuffleboard court. You see those <laughs> <Yeah>. ra- <laughs> the rats coming in, getting booze, could knock it off with the booze. They're, they're not going to get very good TripAdvisor reviews, are they, this boat? No. no. Hispaniola? More like Hispanola. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a scene at night and we get to see another Muppet staple, which is the band Electric Mayhem. Uh, mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, we see rats snogging and getting tipsy and stuff, which is pretty funny. Um, yeah, and it's ju- I, I I always like to think that somewhere there's an there's a there's a cut of the film where it's all from the rats' point of view. Oh yeah, so you got <laughs> yeah, so you start so like you get like and they're trying to there's like this whole relationship drama, <laughs> uh, like. Like, like of this, like of these different people, like ensemble of rats trying to enjoy this cruise, and this, like, in the background, you've got this pirate stuff coming on. So, what you're saying is, Muppets Titanic? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my god! Imagine. <laughs> and it's during this evening scene that we get one of our first kind of um, quite sincere scenes between uh, Long John and Jim. Where Jim's basically talking about his, he's got his dad's compass and Long John's teaching him how to read the stars. But Long John also grills Jim about the treasure map. What did you think of the relationship between Jim and Long John? I can't remember how long it took me to how long it took me to realise this. But ten year old me watching this for years and years and years honestly thought that at this point Jim and Long John thought they were brothers. Oh right, okay. Because you know, because there's, there's, there's a bit where he's on about my, like, um, like my dad was the first mate, and oh, my dad was the first mate too. Oh. For some reason, I always believed that the, they was talking about the same person, and like they realised they were brothers at that point. And like, it took me for years to realise no. To be fair, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a trope that you see in. Uh, I mean, like we've already seen it in the Parent Trap, where the the two girls are talking about the same people, um, and they never realise. Oh, it's, a, it's it is more or less a coincidence, and I think of them um, just like building a common thing about. Oh yeah, my dad was a sound. My dad used to work on the docks. My dad used to work on docks. He used to work. My dad used to be back. My dad used to be back. Yeah, but for some reason, like, the way it was, the way it's kind of performed. Well, um, I, the way it was performed, I thought Long John was lying because there's this one little shot where basically Jim says, "My dad was a." 
first mate or whatever. And there's an ever so slight linger in Long John's eyes. He gives he gives Jim a right side eye. And I honestly think he was then thinking, ah, and then lies about his father being the same so that then no, but, to to make that connection with Jim, I think, anyway, that's just my reading. I think, I think Long John actually says his dad was the first mate before Jim says it, unless it's earlier in the film. Oh, I might be remembering it wrong. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I only I watched think, it yesterday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's, what, that's what threw me, I think, at first, like, because... Does Long John give him the eye as he says it? I think that might be what happens. Because, like, Long John knows about Jim and knows that he knows that there's this treasure map involved for him to then steal mm. it off Jim. So I wonder how much he knows about Jim and how basically it could have been Fozzy that has spilled the beans. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, I think to be fair, I mean, um, Smollett did say that he knew Jim's father. father. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, so. He might, because pirates might know, well, pirates or sailors might know of each other anyway, yeah. so it's it's probably not a stretch, but for years, for years, young me honestly thought that they were, that meant that they figured out they were brothers at some point. I can absolutely see where you're coming from, to be fair. Uh, sometime later, which we then find out is, basically, they've been on the, the sea at this point for six weeks, so people are going to start to go a bit crazy. Gonzo and Rizzo get mugged by the three pirate and they basically tie gonzo to the rack and stretch out his limbs in a brilliant brilliant silly little visual gag uh, yeah i might have a future with the nba basically everything you've quoted so far has been the quotes that i've written down as well <laughs> yeah uh, and i just love um sam comes in and he basically just says i say this doesn't look safe and i just thought that was the most sam thing to do like a complete under exaggeration of it, like yeah, but it's it's and it's and I think the puppetry as well is pretty good when like clueless kind of holds on to the the burning ember and he just starts to shake and you can, <laughs> the exp- what's great is that the expression that's the eyes kind of half close, yeah. the mouth kind of twists and he really looks in pain, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's it it just the the way that the puppetry works on that is actually very impressive. It's and it's just like and he goes ah yeah, it's great. Um, and so the bad guys they all get put in prison apart from Long John, um, and then we go back to the captain's quarters where uh, Kermit finally uh, puts his foot down and locks the map in the safe, um, and then we get what I think is the best song in this film, Cabin Fever. <laughs> Again, it's quite similar to Sailing for Adventure in that it's, you know, the whole ensemble are singing along and doing daft stuff, but this just goes, it's, it's the most Muppets the Muppets have ever been almost in this bit because uh, they're basically you know the crew are going insane because they've been on the water and so it's an excuse for them to do the most daft things possible the most anachronistic gags um, basically just like everyone has a luau there's some great meta gags as well uh, oh, I can't remember who it was there's, uh, there's like I I'm Doug got cabin fever. I think I lost my grip, and he goes, "I want to get my hands on whoever wrote this script." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, this song is 
whenever I'm thinking of this film, I think of this. And I realised um, today, actually, that the reason is this was the song that was clipped for the the trailer for Muppet Treasure Island on UK VHSs. Um, when it was the adverts at the beginning of other films. So this is the bit that I always remember as a kid because not only was I watching it on VHS, the film, I'd watch it on, you know, the end of Toy Story and the end of Mulan and stuff when it was trying yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. When it was trying to sell you some more films. In, back in the brig, uh, we see Long John Silver um, chatting with the pirates. So we know, basically, he, for definite, the audience knows that Long John is a naughty boy. Mm-hmm. And Jim walks in at this point and basically tells Long John, he, he lets slip that the map is safely in the safe. So Long John knows where to find it. The next evening, in the, on a foggy night, Long John tells Sam a tale of um, one of his mates that was working on a boat that had dodgy lifeboats and they all died, which always begs the question how his mate survived to tell the tale. But, you know, mm-hmm. um, so convinces Sam basically to check personally that the lifeboats are working. So Sam hands Long John his hat and keys for safekeeping. So I wonder what his plan is with them. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think this, I think this again... The, me not understanding the adaptation of stuff as as an adult now realizing that it's probably they're actually kind of making a kid family friendly ver- version of Arrow's fate in the books, right? So yeah, so like because they then think he's gone overboard, which is what which what actually happens in the book. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, so the next morning they find Sam's hat and think there's a, they're a man overboard, um, and then the baddies, whilst everyone else is having a memorial for Sam. The baddies steal the map out of the safe, um, and Rizzo and Gonzo are hiding in an apple barrel. Jim jumps in. I really, I really love this little <clears throat> visual of uh, Jim hanging out with Gonzo and Rizzo in a in a apple barrel. Even though they're, mm-hmm. you know, Rizzo and Gonzo, plot wise, might not have much to do. At least it, they're a really cute little trio. The three of them, I think, <laughs> um, and. Whilst they're in the barrel, they overhear the pirates' plan to kill them all. And at this point, we finally hit the island. The the, the, the apple barrel is actually, is actually one of the more famous things that's actually in the novel. Oh, I right. can't I can't I can't remember how he does it, but Jim's in there on his own, right? And he's, I think I don't know whether he's just sat in there trying to eat something or just or he hears something and hides in there. But the the apple the barrel thing is actually quite a famous ah, section from the book. Did not know that. But, yeah, so that, cause that's how Jim finds out. That's how Jim and the audience find out about um, Long John because I think because the book because the book is pretty much a first person view, right? Okay, for the for the for most of it um, from Jim's point of view, so you don't cause you, you don't really see Long John's true self until that point. Right. So mm. then Jim tells Smollett all about the mutiny. Um, and so they go into the officers' quarters. The plan being that they'll let all the pirates off the ship, and then they'll fuck off in the boat, so they can't escape. And then they'll come back for them in, 
the treasure in a year's time when they've all killed themselves. Uh, but Long John ain't that stupid. Uh, so he kidnaps Jim and they head off to the island. They set up camp. And again, we get electric mayhem playing in the background. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Dr. Teeth is uh, saying, like, well, whose side are we supposed to be on? And it's like, you know, let's not get into the politics. Whoever's paying our money will... Uh... Your man never get involved in politics. <laughs> politics. Politics. <laughs> Which seems very tone deaf in 2019, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we get our next song which is uh, Long John trying to convince Jim that being a pirate is pretty cool and that they're all nice people and they've got, you know, good health benefits and dental <laughs> uh, when yeah. they sing when you're a professional pirate. So yeah, where'd you put that on your rankings? This is another five out of five. This is another favourite of mine. I love this song. This is why you get Tim Curry <laughs> in your film. Yeah. <laughs> and there's that, there's that great, little, um, great little bit as well. It goes, upstage, lads, this is my only number. Yeah. Every meta joke in this film is just brilliant. It's uh, it, it's it's your Disney villain song. Yes, but it's also just great because because villains villain songs are always kind of like the uh, the secret weapon for most films, I think, um, particularly for Disney because they make or break a villain, which I, I think is kind of weird when I think about it because one of my other favorite Disney films is Aladdin, and I'm pretty sure Jafar doesn't actually have one. No, he doesn't. Um, no. He does. He does in Return of Jafar, and it's terrible. Oh God, yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. But um, he is just great. And is that bit where, uh, and one of my favourite bits where they basically basically quote the Godfather, and he goes, "Me, I could have been a contender." Which is really funny because I've never seen the Godfather, so it's the one joke in the whole film that doesn't land for me because I don't know what the hell they're referencing. I've never seen the Godfather either, but I just know it's. Funny. I mean, you can tell it's supposed to be an Al Pacino. Uh, not a Mar- it's a Marlon Brando, but yeah, yeah. Um, but I've never heard that line before until this film. To be honest, I think I really like this song because I th- basically Long John saying you know being a pirate's pretty good and we're all you know mm. all for one and one for all and all that. Um, and I think character wise, I think Long John believes what he's saying. I don't think he's trying to lie to Jim. I think he this is how he would like to see pirates be for realsies and it's all the other idiots that bring them down <laughs> i think as well is because what happens is basically he is saying all of these things um and as he says them the pirates around him contradict him straight away but i genuinely think he would prefer that that's what happened yeah do you get me and yeah definitely because it's um he's got quite a code of honor as a character. And I think it matches it matches to what we see of him and Jim's relationship later on in the film. Yeah. Part of me think it's a shame that we never saw see more of the character itself, but the shadow of Flint kind of constantly particularly in this next act anyway, kind of like overshadows or haunts the rest of yeah. them because because pretty much any everything that Long John is singing about and probably does believe he's probably has been kind of disproven by perhaps a more famous pirate than him. Yeah, than him. yeah, because Flint was definitely a bad dude. Like, <laughs> you know, killing his old crew just to save his treasure and stuff. But it's it's almost like John, Long John's like, you know, that's the old way. This is this is my way now. But yeah, yeah, everyone else is too scared about uh, Flint himself, aren't they? Still, yeah, it's this bit where he has the the, the talking bit during the hmm hmm hmm, where he's on about where he, he kind of sees he's got a sense of betrayal from Flint. So, yeah, kind of, yeah. So when you say like he's got 
he's always had like his code of conduct. There's like a part of him at that point, and I think Tim Curry. <laughs> I think it's Tim Curry. <laughs> how he delivers that line. He goes, Flint's own crew. Who should have blood getting here? There's like a, a lot of resentment. Yeah. And I think like, so like whether he believes that Flint kind of went against Long John's code of piracy, more or yeah. less. It kind of reminds me of in like Pirates of the Caribbean because there's a lot of sort of, the pirates have that kind of code of conduct in that as well, which as, you know, for every character that's trying to uphold it, there's another character that's stabbing you in the back, which kind of makes a more rounded kind of story yeah um, yeah so yes brilliant song brilliant scene brilliant set looks lovely turns out that there's secretly pirates still aboard the hispaniola and we hear them fire two shots from the cannons to say that they've taken over the ship and long john tells jim that he's going to have to take his dad's compass for this um you know treasure hunt at which point i was like why the hell has none of the others got a compass <laughs> who, <laughs> i never thought who of that. the fuck comes on a treasure hunt that they know they're going to take over without a fucking compass <clears throat> i don't know if it's supposed to be that none of them can afford it but long john's long john's outfit in this scene is pretty snazzy he could have hopped that and you know had himself a compass instead yeah never mind kermit gonzo and rizzo make it to shore in a little boat and instantly get kidnapped well, by uh, native pigs, the leader of which is called Spatam, which I didn't realise until this viewing, which I thought was pretty good. I think they got sued by Spam as well. Did they? <laughs> yeah, I think if um, if I refer to the Wikipedia page, um, it's only a couple of sentences. There's a section called Lawsuit. Right. <laughs> the Hormel Foods Corporation, the creators of Spam, sued Jim Henson Productions for using the name Spatam for one of the film's tribal pig characters. The judge dismissed their suit on September the 22nd, 1995, after a trial for failure to prove damages, noting, one might think Homer would welcome the association with a genuine source of pork. When Spatam <laughs> later appeared... <laughs> when Spatam later appeared as a racing boss in Muppet Race Mania, he was credited as Pig Chief. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, and we're warned about the other leader of the tribe, Boom Shakalaka, a br- another brilliant name, uh, which we, again, kind of similar to the introduction of Kermit, we get this really long, drawn-out, um, where all the, all the natives are drumming and shouting a name. There's a big... There's a real-life elephant that parades across the set. So, you know... Another trope that we've got, a bit of animal cruelty sort of in here. Yeah, boom, boom, shakalaka, four out of five. <laughs> boom, shakalaka, boom. Because the thing, the thing that makes it as well is that when they start getting there, is that when Gonzo starts singing along with it, and starts like enjoying watching it. Because <laughs> Gonzo starts singing along with it as well, which I think is just great. Gonzo should have just like popcorn in his hand for the whole of this film, pretty much. He? Yeah. He, yeah. He, he's loving it as much as us. He's getting his money as well. Um, yeah. And the the big reveal is that this character is Miss Piggy. Bonsoir, mes amis. <laughs> or as as she's called in this, Benjamin Gunn. Um, 
And as soon as she sees Kermit, she gives her signature karate chop, which I don't know about you, but I think it's funny every time I see it. Oh god, yeah, it's great. It's it's the it's the shaking and goes, old girlfriend. And <laughs> this yeah, and okay, this is this is where the um I it's I think I didn't get to the last two th- last third of the original book because I think I stopped reading it, but I'm going to assume that 1996 Usenet or whatever was there, there was a massive amount of Treasure Island people posting on the internet in outrage that they gender swapped a character <laughs> from the book. Right. Um, because in the book, it's, it's the there's a character called Benjamin Gunn. Right. I did think uh, Benjamina was a bit of a weird name at the time, so that's yeah. obviously why they've. Uh... I think this the, the part we get to the part of the book now where I started to like phase out because I think at this point there's a whole because I think they're pretty much on the tre- they're on the island about a third into the book because um, a, a lot of it is on the island and there's a whole section where they're basing like a stockade that Benjamin Benjamin Gunn built and there's there's even there's a whole section where it cuts to where some of the narration narrator changes to the character that Bun- that Bunsen Honeydew plays. Right. So, okay. Yeah. So, Bunsen Jew's character, Doctor Livesey, um, is actually a narrator for, and he flips, and each chapter flips between him and Jim Hawkins, where I think Jim Hawkins is outside the stockade and they're trapped in the, and I think Smollett, Smollett, who's actually been shot and gravely injured and he's pretty much out of action for the rest of the book, um, is injured and trapped in the stockade, and um, there's these things with I think as what, well, and they're pretty much getting onslaughted by Long John's crew and. It's pretty much like War Diaries where um, they're saying we haven't got long before the pirates break in and kill us all and all that kind of stuff. Oh, um, right, but, okay. Yeah, but I think but they kind of like find refuge in this Ben Gunn's like stockade and yeah, so like pretty much here's like where it's all completely different. So like, because I think they, they struggled, you can tell they struggled to find where to put Miss Piggy in the story because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because the, the original book, the original book is devoid of any female character. Yeah. Um, and like the neat and because Miss Piggy is what second billing in terms of if you was to if you was to rank the importance of oh yeah yeah you've got your yeah, Kermit have, and then you'd be Kermit at top and then Miss Piggy at the top and then I kind of I can't I I always flip them always can't figure out whether Gonzo or Fonzie are third but um, Fonzie wow that would be a different film <laughs> yeah well no I mean like in terms of in no, terms of like importance order but uh, no I you said Fonzie as in like. Uh, the Fonz from uh... Fuzzy, sorry, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, sorry, yeah, that's that's my uh, that's my misplacing of name for this. Uh... That's another yeah. Disney Plus uh, series, The Muppet Happy Days. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so um, so like they they the kind of the the whole thing with Benjamin Gunn and Smollett is like completely for this film. Kind of works though. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, so. Uh, and again, because you can't have the Muppets without Miss Piggy showing up. No, but I mean it's. But she's in. Um, I timed it one hour and six minutes. Yeah, before we Miss Piggy finally turns get her in. Yeah, <laughs> but but I mean, like it's it's great when she finally appears. But the film does a really good job with with you forgetting that she exists. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There is um in the scene. On the boat where it's nighttime, there's a very fleeting moment where you see yeah. um, Kermit holding a a picture of her, but that's yeah. the only reference to her in the whole film. Yeah, and he goes like, "Yeah, because like, oh, Smolly," and all the kind of like, "Yeah, oh, Smolly," 
but God, I've, I've seen this film too many times. <laughs> but yeah, by the time by the time it actually happens, you are you've forgotten about that until it happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then we see um, the pirates find where the treasure was uh, buried, but the treasure has already been stolen again. Um, so the pirates all turn on Long John Silver, um, who, showing his sort of code of conduct, he he saves Jim. He gets Jim to escape before the pirates turn on him. Yeah. And then we go back to the the natives camp where they're basically they've decided they're going to cook all these intruders, and so we finally shoehorn in a way for the Swedish chef to be in the scene. <laughs> Get um, the moosey, we skew the moosey. And they've got because all of the natives are all pigs, so they've got him like wearing a fake pig nose on a bit of string. <laughs> One of the vegetables is like, well, how else did you think we were going to get him in the movie? And it's just every meta joke in this film lands so well because that's what the Muppets do. Like, yeah, they they don't ever hide the fact that they're always taking the piss the whole time. Yeah. And then I think then it cuts to um, the reunion between Benjamina and Smollett. And then you've got the and there's a tour guy who goes, here you can see the location of the film Muppet Treasure Island. Yeah. Ooh. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. I just love it. It's brilliant. I love that subplot. And then at the same time, Arrow finally arrives. Sam finally arrives on his little uh, boat that he was checking. He turns up on the shores. And then we learn that Smollett left Benjamina at the altar. So she's that's why she's mad at him. And the pirates rock up at the native uh, camp asking where the treasure is. And they insinuate that Long John Silver and Piggy have uh, shagged previously at this point. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, I didn't notice that, but uh, Tim Tim Curry loves a bit of bacon, it would seem. Yeah. Um. Oh, actually, we missed the. Did we? Did we skip the whole black spot bits? Because there's a. Oh yeah, where yeah. The, the pirates give uh, Long John the black spot. It's great character work for Long John, where he pretty much manages to manipulate. Yeah. The trust back into them, where he goes, "Oh no, you've just you've you've put it on a Bible, so repent, let me go, and we'll just go back and find the treasure." And he just managed to do it in the space of a minute. Yeah. But there's a great, but <laughs> and another one of my many favourite scenes is where, like, I think one of the Toms is going, "Dead Tom's dead, Long John shot him." Yeah, but Dead Tom's already been dead. That's why he's called Dead Tom. And they've been carrying goes, him around oh. this whole time, <laughs> and he goes, "Oh," and just drops him. Yeah. <laughs> it's the timing of it is brilliant yeah so the pirates rock up and they're like well where's where's all this treasure um, and that's the point where they notice that Benjamin is wearing a necklace made out of Spanish doubloons so she must know where it is um, and all of the natives kind of arm themselves up ready to attack the pirates and again it's quite a truncated bit and then Long John pulls out his pistol and they all get scared and disappear straight away <laughs> We see you have boom boom stick. Bye. Bye then. <laughs> and then back on the Hispaniola, um, Jim, Gonzo, Rizzo, and Sam all manage to sneak back aboard, um, and they they dress Sam up as a ghost, where he does the very cliched American thing of just saying boogity boogity boogity. There's a, as they're going up, there's a great little side gag where um, I think the New Zealand, um, the the fish throwing. Oh yeah, yeah. Muppet. Yeah. There's a bit where he's actually knitting a skull and crossbones in the corner. <laughs> That's the thing about this film is like every time you because I I've never spotted that ever. There's yeah. always something to see that you've not yeah. seen before in these films. It's just so good. Um, oh, man, like I've not even watched it in on Blu-ray yet. 
Got him. He must see everything. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And yeah, so every pirate jumps overboard when they see Sam the Ghost. So they literally get the ship back straight away. Um, So they weigh anchor and decide to um, basically uh, sail right up to the. uh, Where we see. We then cut to Smollett, who's hanging off a cliff on a bit of rope because the pirates are trying. I've basically said to Benjamino, we'll kill him if you don't tell us where the treasure is hidden. So Piggy tells them and they hang her up too. And then we get our last song of the film, I believe, which is Love Led Us Here. Yeah. Where'd you rank that? I gave that I gave that three out of five. Because okay. it the song itself is it's okay. It's it's okay, it's alright. But I think I think what boosts it up though is the staging and the Visually, staging. yeah. It's quite yeah, good. visually and staging, because um, this is the bit, the technical bit I was on about, because there's a lot of shots that are quite reversed, and the puppets are being fully animated, but you can actually see they're just on a piece of string, and I can't figure out if it's, if there's some, like, photo, if they've cropped over, if they've cropped right. up. So basically, if they, I've got a feeling they might have filmed it upside down and stretched the puppets up. Maybe, and then yeah. animated them there and animated them that way and then flipped it upside down and then both like superimposed the top of it over it to hide the puppeteers. But I can't figure out how it's done. But it's kind of like the people said, oh, we're going to get 10 or 11 year old boys who don't like love songs watching this. So we need to keep their interest. <laughs> yeah. So um, so basically the stage it with um, them upside down and the key change kicks in with the, the snapping of one of the strands of the rope, which works. Yeah. And, but... But the music actually worked, and I think I had a bit better. I've got better appreciation of it when I rewatched it um, last week, um, and the, the music works really well when the pirates actually find the, the gold. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like it's like the pure joy from all the pirates and Long John, and the music kind of fits the kind of comical celebrations they're doing with the slow motion moving yeah. the, the gold and stuff. And um, I mean, yeah, and. I think, te- I mean, that technically that that shot that shot of them upside down and still managing to be fully animated, um, I think actually looks really well. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? For me, this song, um, I really don't like it, but I think, yeah, there's there's enough visually going on underneath it that um, I just concentrate on that rather than listening to the song. To be honest, it's very much for me like um, the love is gone from uh, Muppets Christmas Carol which famously was on the VHS and then was cut out for the DVD because nobody liked it. It wasn't on the the theatrical, the theatrical no, release either. No, they added it as a bonus feature. Uh, which, um, I, I, I don't know, I, I find it... I don't, I don't mind it. I think, it's, I think it works quite well, and particularly when the end of the film has the refrain of when love is found. Yeah, you need the original song for it to make yeah. sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the pirates finally find the treasure. Um, pirates are loading up the lifeboats and they see the Hispaniola coming. So they get scared it could be the ghost of Flint coming to get them. Uh, <laughs> which doesn't make much sense because I don't think the Hispaniola was Flint's ship. Like, It's a bit of a stretch, that one. They, are, they, aren't, very, they aren't very clever. <laughs> no, that's fair. Yeah, they're not very clever. Um, but they the good guys managed to get the Hispaniola right underneath... Kermit and Piggy to catch them as they fall um, and Statler and Waldorf who are the uh, masthead which we've not mentioned at any point yet but <laughs> <laughs> so they've been uh, you know 
giving it some digs throughout the film. Um, they yeah. managed to catch Kermit and Piggy, saving them. Um, but the ship runs aground, ready for the final battle. Yeah, oh. we saved the pig and the frog. Well, it was too late to save the movie. Yeah, yeah. So our final battle, brilliant, love it. Some of the visual gags in this are really well done. Uh, you've got things like Gonzo turns into a ninja throwing starfish as throwing stars. Uh, that was a payoff from a, a line where he says he has starfish in his underpants. Yeah, and earlier had, in the but film. I think you know, you know, I think it also highlights the fact that I think at this point, for the last like twenty odd minutes, like Gonzo and Rizzo don't actually have anything to do. No, <laughs> because I think at, when they get to the island, kind of Kermit and Miss Piggy just like kind of take over. Yeah, and they're and, just like, in the background whilst they're having a moment. Yeah, we get to see Sweetums. Uh, he changes sides, which is quite cute. I thought. Sweetums is yeah. a great character as well. He doesn't get enough love, I don't think, our Sweetums. No. Uh, we get a very uh, 90s bit where, I can't remember which character, but someone shouts Cowabunga, <laughs> which is very uh, of the time. Uh, the bit that I thought you were going to talk about from the visuals uh, was we get a shot of Kermit doing um, somersaults. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, that was... There's that bit as well, yeah. Which is clearly, there's obviously some com- computering going on for this bit, I think. Um, I think it stands out cause, because it's the one effect that doesn't look practical. I think it does stand out quite a lot, especially today. But I don't know if it did as much back then. What, what, what are your, have you got any thoughts on the final battle in general? <laughs> It's quite. It's quite quick. Yes, to be <laughs> it's fair, very quick. it is quite. It's quick. very quick. It's very. It's fast. It's quite fast paced, and but I mean, you can't really choreograph a whole sword fight with a puppet, can you? Against no. a human, I feel but, like uh, it's decently energetic. I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think it does. I think it's highlighting just how much um, how good a swordsman Smollett should be. Yeah, because um, he's quite good. Not bad for an amphibian. He just basically starts cutting off all the the things stuff. And I do quite like uh, Tim Curry. <laughs> kind of has an exasperated expression <laughs> yeah. on his face. Like, well, excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's, it's, he's less impressed. More like, what the bloody hell's going on here? Yeah, considering how technically difficult it must be to choreograph, I think yeah, it's, it is brief, but I think they do a good job of it feeling like an ensemble action scene where there's lots going on and it's very frantic it's got the energy yes. it's got the right amount of energy even if it only lasts you know about a minute i think it does help maintain the focus on what happens next so it's with jim and long john so. yeah so yeah we uh all the bad guys get put in prison but it turns out long john's still got his keys um so of course he's gonna fuck off he's escaping with the treasure but jim catches him and they have this really poignant scene where jim can't sound the alarm um, he can't bring himself to it, and Long John can't bring himself to shoot Jim either. So Long John throws the compass back to and rows off into the fog. I really think this scene is it, it really brings back to the earlier scenes where with Long John and Jim. It's really quite touching. I, I know it's still not as nuanced as our mate Michael Caine, but uh, <laughs> I think it does a very good job. I think Kevin, what's his face? I nearly said Kevin Bacon. Kevin uh, Kevin Bishop and Tim Curry. <laughs> Throughout this film, they play off each other really well. And I think 
especially for Kevin being so young. It's very accomplished, his performances alongside Tim Curry. <laughs> no, I think I agree. I agree. It's a very good scene. I think it does top off the relationship between them, which I think is actually kind yeah. of supposed to be the key relationship in the film. Good. Yeah. And this is where finally Sam appears and mentions that that boat that's just left um, is definitely unsafe. And we get our final shot, which is Long John having to bail out his sinking lifeboat, abandoning the treasure and swimming towards the island. And did you know, Matt? Because <laughs> I didn't until this viewing that there was a mid credit scene in this film. Wait, what? Yeah. No. There is. Wow. And I bet nobody's ever bloody seen it. <laughs> it's not very long. Um, do you want me to tell you, or shall I leave it? No, tell me, because so now, so now it ends with them signing off with Captain Jim Hawkins, and then you have all the, the rats excavating the treasure, but no, what? No, you have to tell me. I kind of don't like it, because otherwise our last shot of Long John that we see is basically him swimming for shore. We never know if he makes it or not, essentially. He's only got the one leg. We don't, he's, you know, he's going on, getting on a bit. For all we know, he might not make it. But the mid, <laughs> the mid credit scene, which is literally about 30 seconds, is Long John sat on the beach, eating a banana, looking really annoyed, whilst one of the tiki statues tells him a really bad joke. Oh, yes. Yes, I remember now. Yeah, I've just got uh, the the credit sequence up on YouTube and I remember it now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but I think with that, I mean, like, you could, if you don't, you, it's there. I think it's like a, a final, like, Muppet joke in it. But you can you can probably make it in your head whether it's canon or not. Okay, so that's the end of the film. So, what we tend to do now, as I'm sure you know, because you've listened to our humble little podcast, is we like to ask the guests to summarise their final thoughts, then I'll summarise mine, and then we'll talk about some gems. Well, this might surprise people, but um, I hated this film. It was awful. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's... I love this film. I, I, I think it's great. I think at times... At times... I probably might enjoy it more than I enjoy The Christmas Carol, but in a purely subjective opinion. Um, but 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 then again, then again, I do actually watch Christmas Carol each year at Christmas as a tradition. This this but, I probably yeah. watch every few years. I don't it's not it's not perfect, but it's one of those few films I can kind of overlook the few niggles. That you can probably notice because it's just a load of fun. I just, I just, it's, it's just, it's brilliant. I love it. Yep, fair dues. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, come on, the the whole the whole running joke with the the rats, <laughs> rats, the meta jokes, just yeah. <sighs> okay, so as we kind of mentioned beforehand, um, we've both kind of had a bit of a an upbringing on the Muppets, as you might even say. Um, so I do think. The Muppets in general have really um, informed quite a bit of my taste in comedy with that sort of slap enjoyment of visual gags, but also good witty witticisms as well. Um, very meta with the sense of humour. So 
I was I've was always going to enjoy coming back to this film. It's actually the second time since we've got Disney Life that we've watched this film because when I went to uh, watch it to yesterday, it actually asked me if I wanted to resume it, and I hadn't even realised that we'd watched it that recently. <laughs> um, but yeah, it. I think visually this film looks um, exceptional. The sets um, kind of strike the right balance of um, it's the right level of kind of realism and a bit cartoony um, that works really well with both the Muppets and real life actors in the scene. As as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, it kind of feels almost like a theatre piece because all of the sets are quite compact, but uh, functional and it kind of really looks like because everything is practical, it looks like a real place, and you could imagine this being on stage somewhere because of how theatrical it looks. Um, I noticed the cinematography quite a bit, which is again kind of odd for a Disney film, especially like what we've been watching, where it all tends to be very bog standard and just gets the job done. But especially in the opening scenes where we're on land in um, England, where we're in all these higgledy piggledy houses, they had some really good Dutch angles to match where um, everything was sort of at a, at a squint and it kind of really worked with the sets. So that's the, it's the first time in this whole podcast that I've actually noticed the cinematography at all, despite them, you know, all these characters being puppets and, and the shots having to be really close up, but it never feels claustrophobic. You, you, even though you were only seeing part of the image, you feel like you know what's going on around because whenever it does pull back, there's so much going on. You, they don't make films like this anymore. They don't make films that are this practical and this real and uh, of a place. And it's just, I, I just absolutely love that about this era of filmmaking. Um, the songs, witty, catchy, uh, as I said before, really reminded me of the Sherman Brothers. And I know you want to compare it to Muppets Christmas Carol. And I'm just like you. I watch Christmas Carol every single Christmas. So this film does come out of rotation quite a lot. And I, I always feel bad when I do come back to it because I feel like I love it just as much as Christmas Carol, but just in a very different way. It's got a very different feel, a lot more energetic and adventurous and funny. Um, Yes, there are, you know, they've tried to make it too similar by adding Rizzo and Gonzo, but when they are in it, they're still brilliant. I still want to see them because um, they work so well together. So I can't really fault this film at all. I bloody loved coming back to this film. And again, I've only had Disney Life less than a year. I've watched it twice in a year and I enjoyed it just as much the second time. Uh, I, I shocked myself at how much I was laughing at it. And it's like it's it's probably the first time I've watched in at least five six years. Yeah. So gems, Matthew. Right. Well, we will try and ask Chris at some point his views on this film. I did text him before we started recording to ask what his uh, his gem number would be because what what we like to do, even if he's not here, is add that to the total. Uh, but he has not got back to me, so he's probably gone to bed or something if he's not feeling great. So. Um, yeah, we'll do our gems, and then next time I see him, <laughs> we'll figure out what the official score is for Muppet Treasure Island. So, Matt, you can go first. So, the rating system, as you know, it's out of 10 gems. You can use fractions of a gem as well. I'm going to have to give it a 10, I'm sorry. 
Good, because so am I. <laughs> I can't. I can't think. Uh, there was nothing to dislike about this film. I can't take anything away from it. I mean, if 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 you probably could, if you wanted to squint and pinpoint stuff, but at some point, if you like a film that much, you can't. You've You have to have a look it, and you kind of just love it. And yeah. here, I mean, again, I think it it feels really bad to compare it to Christmas Carol, which is probably objectively critically a bet structurally a better film but i think subject as i said subjectively i think my heart kind of goes for this anyway if yeah. at a pinch ba- 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 basically there's 11 months there's 11 months of the year that i could probably watch this whereas with christmas carol it doesn't it feels wrong if you try and if you watch it anywhere other than december yeah that's true so yeah that's a lot of pressure on chris now isn't it <laughs> To uh, to score it highly as well. Well, I'm to, sure be, to be fair, when I, when I rec- when I was speaking to him when I was recording his latest episode, um, he did mention that he there was things that he noticed on this uh, on this viewing. So I'm glad he has oh. another. I'm glad he has another chance to try and sully this film. <laughs> I might make an executive decision and say he doesn't get a say on it. <laughs> <laughs> he goes. So where can people find you on Tinterweb, Matthew? They can find me on the on the Twitter. Oh, that didn't come out right, did it? They can find me. <laughs> they can find me on the Instagram and the Twitter and all sorts. Um, yeah, if you want to follow the the pod, the podcast, which is Pick a Disc, um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, with the URL slash Pick a Disc, which is quite handy because it matches the name of the podcast. Um, if you really want to, if you really want to try and stalk my personal accounts, which is private, but if you don't look weird, I might let you follow it. It's um, <laughs> X and Matt or Zan Matt on Twitter, and yeah, so that's where you can find me. Thank you so much for guesting on the show this evening. It's been absolute pleasure to talk to you. Right, where where do I live on the internet? I always forget. My Twitter is at TimblesRH, and the official Twitter for this is at. Podwam. If you like Instagram, you can Instagram us at Without a Mouse. We also are now on Facebook as well, which is um, you can search for the group, which is just Without a Mouse podcast. And uh, yeah, so this is technically my choice of film for the next week because Chris ain't here, and technically this was his film anyway. So I just realised I haven't actually thought of one. Since Chris really, 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 really loves his musicals so much, (laughs) I have decided that for my next film, sticking in the 90s, we're going to watch the 1999 Disney remake of Annie. (laughs) This is... This is his fault for not bothering to show up this evening. <laughs> is that is that what's going to happen there, guys? If you don't turn up, we're gonna we're gonna watch a musical. Damn straight. <laughs> Me and Kirsty argue over this all the time because this is the first version of Annie I ever saw. So uh, she uh, she thinks it's really weird that I prefer this to the eighties one. So yeah, thank you very much again, Matt. Oh, it's been great. It's been great. And thank I'll, you. Yeah, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.
Mm-hmm. 